Good morning, Christ Prez. Today is the last Sunday of Advent, and we're concluding our study of Revelation. It's been a journey. Let me remind us of the big picture. We've seen that Revelation is an apocalypse, which simply means disclosure, revealing. And what is it disclosing and revealing? Jesus Christ. As Daryl Johnson puts it, no other book of the Bible presents Jesus Christ as clearly, as powerfully, as compellingly as this one. And this is what we need more than anything else. In light of all we have gone through this year, all the unrest and difficulty and confusion, what we most need is a clearer, bigger picture of Jesus Christ. Revelation tells us things are not what they seem. The world looks in chaos. It appears that things are out of control. The future looks dim at times. But look, the Lamb is on the throne and the new creation is coming. When we see Jesus, we see reality as it truly is. This doesn't necessarily change our circumstances, but it does reframe them, and it gives us what we need to hope, to persevere, to patiently endure. During the season of Advent, we've been looking at what Revelation tells us about what we wait for when we wait for the coming of Jesus Christ. We've seen that we're waiting for the ultimate defeat of evil, the ultimate party, the wedding feast of the Lamb, and nothing less than a new world, a new heavens, a new earth. Well, this week, we see that as we wait for the coming of Jesus Christ, we're waiting for life, and not just any life, Zoe life, not merely biological, not life that decays and runs down and finally dies, true life, real life, abundant life, the kind of life that God has, the kind of life that God is. As we wait for Jesus, we're waiting for true, abundant, lasting life. Let's look at three images John gives us of this true life for which we wait. He shows us the tree of life, he shows us the river of life, and he shows us the giver of life. The tree, the river, and the giver. So first, let's look at the tree. In chapter 22, verse 2, we see the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. And we learn that the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now, immediately, where do our minds go? What part of the Bible's story? The very beginning. The Bible story begins, remember, in a garden, and God and humanity live there together. And in the very middle of the garden, we find the tree of life. It's a tree that represents the very presence and life of God. And God isn't stingy with this tree. God wants to share his life with the world. And so God tells the man and the woman that they may eat from all the trees in the garden, including the tree of life. They would have eternal life. Now, when most of us hear those words, eternal life, we're thinking of life that never ends. Life that is like the Energizer Bunny, just keeps going and going and going. We hear eternal life and we think of life's duration and quantity. And that's fine, but it's only part of the picture because in the Bible, eternal life is, is about quantity, but it's even more about quality. Eternal life is about good life. The tree of life isn't just about never dying. If life isn't good, if life is basically miserable and full of all kinds of suffering, then living forever would actually be a curse. That's not what God wants for us. We hunger for beauty and justice and relationships and spiritual intimacy with God because we know that we were made for these things. 
not just a life that never ends, but a life full of joy and beauty and deep fellowship with God and people and even with the physical world. That's what the tree of life is about, eternal life in all its fullness. Quantity, yes, but also quality. Eating from the tree would be like ingesting the very life of God. It's like the tree of life gives true life, real life, abundant life. But remember, in the garden, there's another tree. It's right there on the way to the tree of life. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this is the one tree in all the garden that the humans are told not to eat from. Eating from this tree leads to death. Both trees look beautiful, but one of them is a true tree of life, and one of them is a false tree of life. Well, you remember how the story goes. The man and woman eat from the false tree, and they're exiled from the garden. They lose the tree of life. It's off limits. It's not for them anymore. And we know this because we experience it. We live it every day. We're cut off from the tree. We don't have the fullness of life that we were made for. Our world is broken in every way, spiritually, socially, psychologically, physically. But on a deep level, in the core of your being, you know that you were made for the garden. We were made for the tree of life. And so we reach for it. We try to take it for ourselves. We try to reclaim the tree of life on our own. We, we reach for it. How? Well, sometimes it sounds like this. If I could only get these people to like me, or if I could just have that job, if I could just get that raise, if only I were married, if only I were single, if only I lived somewhere else, if only I could take that vacation I always wanted, if only I had a little more money, then, then I would be satisfied. Then my life would be fulfilling and meaningful. See, we reach because we know that we were made for something more and we think that we can somehow achieve what it is that will satisfy us, if only. But then you get the new job and you realize, no, life is still pretty much a pain. Or you finally get married and you realize that, well, marriage is, is wonderful, but it also brings a whole new set of problems and difficulties. You see, in all these things, in, in all of our deepest desires for love and acceptance and success and joy and beauty, what we're really hungry for is the tree. What we're really craving is the garden. We never stop wanting the true life that God intended for us in Eden. But the problem is now, so often, we try to find that fullness of life apart from God. We reach and reach and reach for what the tree could have given us, but we try to find it now apart from God. And God says, no. God says, I do want you to have eternal life, but not like that. It has to come from me. You can't achieve this for yourself. You can't just go out and take it. You have to trust me with it. And so God exiles Adam and Eve from the garden. And the question becomes, can anyone ever get back? Will God's people ever have true life? Or will we continue to choose the false trees, the trees that lead to exile, destruction, and death? Will we trust God? Or will we try to know good and evil for ourselves, going our own way, rejecting his grace and distrusting his love? Well, that's the tree. Now let's look at the river. Look at chapter 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. 
Again, this takes us back to the garden. In Genesis, we read about a river that flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers, which then flowed out to water the entire world. It's, it's another powerful image of the life of God, and it flows in abundance. But despite the river of life, there's a drought in the soul of humanity. We're always thirsty for more. In the garden, humanity was thirsty for what they thought was wisdom, but they tried to quench their thirst on their own apart from God, and they end up in the dry and dusty wilderness. In losing Eden, they lose access to the water of life, and they can no longer share God's life with the rest of the world. This problem continues through the Old Testament. In Jeremiah, we read one of the most poignant charges against God's people. God says, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns of themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. We continue to turn from the one true source of living water and to quench our thirst on our own for ourselves. And Jeremiah's vivid imagery shows us how futile this is, but frantically we keep digging in the dirt, hoping that living water will bubble up so that we can finally be satisfied. We keep taking the buckets of our souls and putting them down into this well or that well, hoping that they'll come back up with the good stuff. Don't we do this? It, it sounds so much like trying to take from the tree of life. Maybe it's a relationship. We think, ah, here's the one who's finally going to satisfy my thirst. Here's the one who will provide the, the living water. Maybe it's wealth and possessions. If I just have a little more money or a little more stuff, then I'll be satisfied. Then my thirst will be quenched. Maybe this year you'll get the Christmas present that will finally do the trick. Maybe it's a job, a hobby, our kids. See, we're always digging wells and dropping the buckets of our souls down into them in hopes that they'll come up with lasting joy, satisfaction, meaning, fulfillment, purpose, and love. And of course it never works. We always thirst again. Well, in the Old Testament, it gets so bad that Ezekiel describes God's people as a pile of dry bones. Scattered in a desert valley. But he also foresaw God restoring life to his people, even raising them from their dry graves by the power of his spirit. And so later in Ezekiel, we get a vision of the temple, which is like a renewed Eden, and we read about a river flowing from the temple to the east. And wherever the river goes, there is life. Everything will live where the river goes. Well, here at the end of the Bible, we see that it's become a reality. We see this ultimate river. Now let's look at the giver. In chapter 22, verse 1, we see that the river of life is flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. This is no surprise. God himself is the source of true life. He's always been the source of true life. We've seen that with the tree and the river. But notice that it's not just flowing from God. Life flows from God and from the lamb. They both share the throne because they're one and the same. And remember what we know about the lamb. At the heart of the heart of reality is the slaughtered lamb, which means that the risen and reigning Jesus is always the crucified Jesus. He's known ultimately not by his power and might, but by his self-giving, sacrificial love. We can't look at the lamb without our thoughts going to the cross. 
And what do we see there? We see Jesus going up onto a tree. We read in 1 Peter, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. You see, this is the tree of life. This is the tree whose leaves are healing for the nations. George Herbert wrote, O all ye who pass by, behold and see, man stole the fruit, but I must climb the tree, the tree of life to all, but only me. He imagines those being the words of Jesus. See, this is the tree where we see God take into himself and onto himself the ultimate curse so that we can receive the ultimate blessing, abundant life, real life, the kind of life that God has, the kind of life that God is, God himself. And so on the tree, we see Jesus become thirsty for us. Literally, he calls out, I thirst. We see him become thirsty for us so that he can be the one to quench our thirst. And so we read that when one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, at once there came out blood and water. You see, here is the true river of life. It's the life of Jesus Christ, and it's given for you. Who is the giver of true life? God, the one who sits on the throne, the slain lamb, Jesus Christ himself. In John's vision of the end, true life abounds because this one is there, and we will no longer be exiles. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. That's our future family. And in the meantime, we wait. We're waiting for true life. But we also wait with true life. We can experience true life right here, right now. How? Believe the gospel. Trust Jesus. Follow the lamb wherever he goes. In Psalm 52, the psalmist who trusts in the steadfast love of God is like a green olive tree in the house of God. In Psalm 1, the one who delights in God is like a tree planted by streams of water. In Proverbs, we learn that wisdom is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Who is that? Who is true wisdom? Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. Lay hold of him. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. And so abide in him, live in him, let him live in you. He stands at the door and knocks, let him in. Sink the roots of your life deep into the rich soil of God's grace and love. Your life will bear fruit and that fruit will become life for others. Proverbs tells us that the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. It tells us that a gentle tongue is a tree of life. See, the fruit of your life and, and even the words you speak can become like a tree of life for others. As our roots go down into Jesus, we become fruit-bearing, life-giving trees for the good of the world.
And so are you thirsty? Are you dry? Do you feel lifeless? Do you want your life to be a source of life and love for others? Well, hear the invitation from Jesus Christ. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever trusts me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Does it sound like Jesus wants to satisfy our thirst? Do you see the grace of it? You don't deserve it and you can't earn it, but here he is offering you his life. Remember, Jesus isn't far off somewhere way up there in a distant heaven or somewhere way out there in the distant future. He's here, close at hand. Behold, he's coming, coming like light in the darkness, coming like streams of water in the desert, coming as true life. Believe the gospel in Jesus' name. Amen.